I'm Neil Wilkins, and welcome to The Mindful Living Show. My name is Gary Shearer, and I am very privileged to be the CEO of the Savile Foundation. We're a private family foundation that engage in multiple initiatives all over the world, looking for people that are doing incredible work that is human-centric. The gathering we held today was the culmination of 15 years of investigating, exploring, and ending up with a very, very rich palette of initiatives that address deep challenges in the world of education. It was very obvious that there was a powerful thread that ran through all of the projects. Basically, that they work from the inside out with human beings and help them become so much more than they are. My personal philosophy is that as human beings, we're extremely conscious beings and we've forgotten about that. So we need to, again, learn to live in love and compassion and with awareness of our fellow human beings. And so we spread that work in the foundation and through the projects that we support. I do what I do just because I have to do it. I do it because the world's in such a challenging position. And for me personally, there's nothing that I enjoy more than seeing if we can use our expertise and our strengths and the resources we have to help other people live and enable their lives to be far better than they are. So I'm joined here today by Gary Shearer, uh, Chief Executive of the Savile Foundation. And we're going to hear a lot more about uh, the Savile Foundation as we go through uh, this conversation. Um, the foundation's mantra is to educate, enable and nurture. And they're creating, as they would claim, um, wholesome solutions in education and business. And by doing this, they are creating almost a, a reimagining of philanthropy and supporting the change makers who are in that, uh, that space. So I'm delighted to welcome uh, you to the session today, Gary, and um, would be very interested to hear a little bit more about um, your journey and kind of what's brought you here today. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh... It's been quite a journey and I'm really privileged and delighted to be sitting where I am right now, in Bristol, of course. i um, come out of South Africa a couple of years ago to, to live here. And um, because of the work that, we, that we're doing, um, the Savile Foundation has um, been on a, it's, it's been an evolving journey. My own background is I was in IT for almost 20 years, um, a lot of formative companies, so I learned a lot of business-related stuff in how to start up, get startups going, etc. And then my brother and I started a wine export entity in, when Nelson Mandela was released in 1991. And we had the most magnificent journey around the world, reopening markets for South Africa with a very special portfolio of wineries, the top ones from South Africa. And it was incredible reintroducing South Africa to the world and learning an enormous amount on the way because we started the journey without any capital, 
any knowledge of the wine industry other than what we'd imbibed along the way. And uh, even the banks in South Africa had no foreign exchange set up because of the embargoes that had been put in place against South Africa. So it was a really wonderful, wonderful journey of learning and exploration. In about 15 years ago, when the company was structured and well set up, I went to go and visit an education project for a friend. And he asked me if, um, if I'd go up there and have a look at it with his, with his wife. And we went for a couple of days. And at the end of the four days, I said to the chap who was running it, his name's Steve Carver. I said, Steve, how are you going to make this work? And he said, I have no idea. And I said, I love what you're doing. I'm resigning from my company and I'm going to come and join you. And that's where the journey started. And to my gratitude and blessing, I connected with Duncan Savile, who's an old school friend of mine. And he suggested we go on this journey together. And the Savile Foundation was formalized. He'd been doing some investing in his own his personal capacity um, at the University of Cape Town and the school we'd both been at called King Edwards in Johannesburg. And my brother and I had done uh, quite a bit of investment into bursaries for students at universities, etc., specifically for the wine industry at that stage. And so we, we had some good contextual background, but this has been the most extraordinary journey of unfettered exploration. And I think therein lies the key, because in the Savile Foundation, we've evolved as we've found what's required or what we see is required on the ground. We made some mistakes in the beginning, a lot of mistakes actually, because we've done what most people do and we think we know how we're gonna help people. We think we know what they need. And that isn't the case. We have to engage very deeply with everybody on the ground and listen carefully to what their actual requirements are and make sure that we don't bring our, I guess you could call them first world concepts and perceptions into the mix. And we see that all over the place. We see technology that never gets used. We see structures that have been built with all the great will and heart in the world and have cost a fortune. And we see corporate badges and philanthropist badges all over the place very more often than not they're not successful and the people aren't using them yeah that that word exploration is a really interesting one isn't it because i, I think um, a lot of people would view philanthropy as um, um an organization um, be it a, a corporate or some foundation or some trust with a whole big pot of money to just dish out wherever there's almost a feel-good factor and i think what you're um, describing here then is something that is really quite profoundly different and maybe then this exploration is is this really the thinking behind this reimagining of philanthropy something that is much uh, sort of more more deep if you like in terms of that kind kind of engagement with the organizations or the individuals that could be supported by these kind of funds? Very definitely. Philanthropies have been around for a century and a half, and the goodwill of people is extraordinary. But what we found, and we did that ourselves, is, as I said, we often invested out of context, without enough deep insight of what really was required. And the bigger foundations have come a really long way. And in our findings, and I never mean to insult or, uh, or, or, or attack anybody, but in our findings, we see that very often um, big foundations and some small ones get stuck in paradigms that come from their worldview and their learnings. And we've really, we did the same thing when we started. 
So our journey of being unfettered, for instance, we, we also, we don't set pre-conceived budgets every year. We go in to see what's available and we don't create the solutions. We support people who are creating the solutions. So we'll go into a, you mentioned that the Cell Foundation's mantra, amongst other things, we create um, initiatives, but we don't. We, we literally outsource the doing to the people on the ground, the people who in the communities who run NGOs that have, have also learned, in the main, have learned really big lessons and have shifted what they're doing. And so from early childhood development, through public schooling, through tertiary education, and even into community development, we found practitioners who are doing extraordinary things that are completely out of the box, but are meeting the needs of people where they're at. And a lot of it is consciousness-based work. And consciousness doesn't necessarily mean meditation or anything kind of spiritual or woo-woo. It just means that you're raising awareness for people of where they're actually at and where they could be and how they can change that. So doing that, we're, we're literally trying to to, to change the paradigms within philanthropy, philanthropy of saying, we can't always be right sitting outside the box. We've got to get in the box and have a look at it. We can't sit from the outside, whether we're in, we're in the University of Cape Town or the University of Oxford or Harvard, and say, this is what the issue is, and this is what we think is going to fix it, because generally it won't. So when you're um, operating and looking and searching and exploring these kinds of opportunities, I mean, where are you seeing some of the really good examples now? Are they, are they geographically based? Are they based in particular sectors? Is there a certain profile of individual who's kind of manifesting these, these really good examples? Are, are you seeing any patterns at the moment? Wonderful question, Neil. Again, because we've been an unfettered foundation and we work internationally, We've worked literally with uh, initiatives in, in Paraguay, in Peru, in Chile. Uh, we've sponsored global school enterprise challenge competitions, which work in well over 100 countries. And we've been doing that for over 10 years. So we have a lot of coverage and a lot of insight, and we've connected to a lot of people doing incredible things. But I would say that our most rich learnings have come from South Africa. As you and your listeners will probably know, South Africa really has some deep challenges. And the government there hasn't really done as well as they should have for their people. And as a result, there's still a lot of trauma on the ground from violence to, to poverty to uh, all sorts of elements of living that haven't been attended to. And as a result, in those kind of dark, for want of a better word, or challenging um, places, you get really, really wonderful initiatives rising out. It's almost like duality of dark and light. And we find practitioners who are addressing needs of people who don't understand these systems that we all are very familiar with. Um, a young person coming from a, a rural area in the Transkei of South Africa, who's coming through to the University of Cape Town or the University of Witzwaterstrand in Johannesburg, and they have no context of their surroundings. They've never been into environments like that before. And so we support programs that support people like that. And we've been, the one particular program has lasted for almost 20 years beyond where we started as a foundation because of what Duncan Savile had invested in prior to that. And so we are now on an international stage 
um, literally having solutions that, that weren't from us, that we've seen from the situations that we've been in where they were really necessary. Uh, we've got some examples which we can share um, to any listeners who are interested. But for instance, in early childhood development, we have a model called GROW, or ECD, GROW Early Childhood Development, which we support. And they have literally taken very high quality education into the really poor township areas. And they've upskilled the people running them, generally women, and they uh, we get investors in to help them on their journey. And we seed, help seed fund them with a group of other investors. And two years ago, they were awarded the best early childhood development model on the planet by Grand Challenges Canada, which is a, a government-supported um, initiative from the Canadian government. And so for, we really find where that, that's a fantastic return on investment for us when that kind of thing happens. And in most of the programs, as I said, we have um, consciousness at the core. We're very, very excited about a new program, which will be able to which we will be introducing to other programs around the world that are similar, because out of India, there are also incredible programs that are meeting the very challenging needs that are there amongst their very large population. And we have a program in South Africa called TLT, which is known as Tomorrow's Leaders Today, which is sending young facilitators into the schools, public schools, and meeting the children where they're at in an official life orientation class. So it's part of the system. And we're getting incredible responses, not only from the students, but from their parents as well, who are so delighted that they, they, their children are finding a place where they can be supported and nourished and uplifted and held carefully when they need to be and advised. And all sorts of wonderful elements are coming out of this. Right now, TLT is busy with a response to COVID. They've gone online in a couple of weeks. It's been wonderful to see. And the parents and the students have responded so powerfully. But again, we sit back as investors and supporters and go, wow, that's kind of return on our investment that we're looking for. If we move up another level again, there's a, uh, an institute in Johannesburg called the Maharishi Institute, which uses, amongst other things, transcendental meditation to guide their students. And the students don't come out of the top scholars that have got nine or ten distinctions. They come from people who, just average people who've come from really challenged backgrounds. And within a couple of months, these young people have turned around like you can't believe. And the results that this small institute come university is, is getting, because the young people get a degree, is supported by the fact that a company, an international company like Accenture, based in South Africa, their South African office both have shares in the Maharishi Institute from a broad-based empowerment perspective, and they also take on only take students from that institute now because they're finding that they're getting such work-ready, well-rounded students coming out. And so, again, wonderful return on investment for us when we see how these shifting of paradigms that are generally holistic, they meet all the needs of the people they're assisting are making such a difference to people's lives. I guess your focus and where you're sort of headed as you, as you kind of do this exploration on an international basis by 
almost defining these, and, and let's call them change makers right now, um, these, these individuals who um, are going to both be inspiring, but also inspire you in terms of their engagement and the kind of relationship that you'd be looking to form with them. What actually, from, from your perspective then, as a foundation, what would make a, or define a good change maker, somebody who you could really rely on, somebody who you get inspired and motivated by, and who, I guess in lots of ways, you're entrusting with this responsibility and accountability for driving things forward. I mean, is, is there almost like an ideal change maker? Such a good question. Again, what, if I think of the best change makers we come across, there are people who've worked very heavily on themselves. They've learnt that it's, the world isn't only about them, but that how they react to the world is what counts. Almost like emotional alchemy. And most of the people who are really superb change makers have had tough life journeys, or journeys in which they've turned themselves around to look at situations, almost taking on a Buddhist paradigm without emotion and too much attachment. You'll get involved, doesn't mean they're not completely and utterly committed to what they're doing, but they're people who can stand back and look at the situation and engage with their hearts leading, but with their minds keeping their emotions in check. And I know that's a broad generalization, but we love the, the term emotional intelligence and emotional alchemy. And we're literally looking at where we can include that in our future journey, because if we give that to everybody, the ability to look at themselves when they get angry and wonder why they're doing it, and so we find change makers are people who often came into the NGO sector or the sector of development and did things for a while and then realized they weren't working and then adapted and changed their perspectives, changed their approaches, learned new things, um, came at everything from a different angle to what they were or what society was. And that's where the real gems come from. So the people are change makers, but you can't be a change maker unless you've changed yourself. That's what we see. And I guess that really kind of surmises the whole thing about enhancing human potential. I know the foundation is, is, is very, very supportive and it becomes it's almost a, a driving sort of mission, if you like, to enhance human potential. And whilst you might be looking at organisations, and I guess a lot of other foundations and trusts would, would do a similar thing, you're looking at organisations, actually within those organisations are the very people who are going to be enhancing themselves and enhancing others. Where would you see this kind of evolution sort of going in the coming months and years? I mean, are there, are there patterns that you see in particular areas? Because we try and meet people where they're at, that journey is completely fluid and it's individual based. It's based on each individual who gets the attention, the support, the, the system that helps them. And so, we, for us, one of the most powerful things we learned came from an entity called the Clothing Bank, which learned from a, 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 an initiative called um, A to B Transformation. And in A to B Transformation, they teach people how to access them, their own will, their volition to do things. And unless you have the volition to stand up and do things for yourself, you're generally this very big supportive, support me hand, give me stuff mentality in the world that's, that seems to be growing. And we love finding solutions or offerings that enable people to help themselves and react positively to situations that come their way and turn them around. And so um, 
I can't really answer what specifically where we see this going because we go with the flow. As I said, we're unfettered and we see um, what's coming up in each situation and we adapt to that situation. We, we really don't like to be stuck. We're literally busy with the words that you used to describe us. We're evolving right now because we, we want to endorse and entrench the view that it is about each individual in each system. It's got to be human-centric. It's what we all are. We're here. We're human beings. And too often in this day and age, we forget about that. We argue about capitalism and socialism and communism, and we argue about all sorts of dogmas and perspectives that may or may not be relevant anymore, that may have been historically wonderful. But we need to live in the moment. We need to look at where we're at. And to be frank, COVID-19 is doing just that. Everybody's stepping back and looking differently at how to be, because we have to. We're locked in our homes, most of us or many of us. How do we operate? How do we operate differently? How do we think differently? And we're part of some wonderful, wonderful forums at the moment, listening actively, engaging as well, where people are looking for new ways for the world to look at things, to operate, starting with ourselves, with the environment, with how we do business, how that gets done more inclusively, how it looks to its communities around it, how it looks to the environment. And we're very excited about the possibilities, not only within philanthropy, but within business as well, because we have a large reach into business too. And we're, we're looking at how we can take things beyond ESG. ESG is almost a tick box exercise that corporates take on. It's wonderful. It has really great elements to it. But we really believe that it should be going much deeper than ESG. So we're calling it beyond ESG, just to, to coin a phrase. Let's just pick up on one of the things that you've um, described there, because I think it's, it's really quite sort of fascinating in terms of, I guess, the, the pre-COVID-19 kind of world where I think a lot of uh, people, particularly in startups or kind of entrepreneurial situations, have been looking for, and I use the phrase, looking for funding. Um, and I've always been quite a passionate advocate that you build a business, you don't just build the next phase of funding. And I think for me, one of the really interesting things which you've um, sort of picked up on there, which is this whole thing about it goes beyond just purely the commerce. It goes beyond the balance sheet and the, you know, the profit projections and it goes into something. And I'm, I'm really hopeful that on the other side of um, all of this, this global lockdown, we're going to see almost a, a new paradigm evolving where businesses are rated in terms of their higher purpose, the value that they return to both society and all their stakeholders. And so there's this more kind of almost um, more holistic view of what makes a good organization or a good business. I guess that kind of ethos really resonates with the foundation. Very much so. And we're, we're, we're hearing that from the people on the ground. It's what people want. They're really itching for something different. And that's across the economic spectrum. I think people who have a lot are realizing that there's a lot more people who don't have enough and that we need to start changing that. It doesn't mean that big systems, big companies, and big government will listen as well as they need to yet. We're certainly hoping so. Um, we're looking for that, but I personally haven't heard that yet. And yes, they're all dealing with a, a really big crisis at the moment. And, and I think most of the responses have been wonderful and are allowing people to believe in their governments again, which has become a huge problem around the world. People don't trust the people who they vote in anymore, as we can see by the percentages of voters around the world dwindling every year. And so this may have a lot of 
unintended consequences on both sides of the spectrum. But we certainly do also hope that, and there are a lot of companies that are already doing mindful work, looking at how they can shift and become more conscious of their surroundings and their environments and their staff and the people who work for them, um, and consultants and all sorts of things within their system. So there are exciting potential times ahead. So what are your hopes then for the future? I mean, obviously post COVID-19, but certainly beyond sort of to the medium, sort of longer term. I mean, obviously the foundation works a lot, um, sort of balancing education and business in, in its activities. I mean, what are your sort of bigger ambitions and bigger dreams looking forward? The Sable Foundation is just involved in philanthropy, but we do have a commercial arm that, we, that we're starting to get more involved in. Our big picture dream is that people become more conscious everywhere, whether we're in a corporate or whether we're individuals, whether we're at schools, because consciousness is almost an overused word, as is the term spirituality. But it does imply that we're trying to look for something different, something that we can't see. It's, it's pretty intangible, this concept of mindfulness that we all talk about. But we've seen that when when we see something we weren't seeing, that's raised, because we've raised our awareness and not just operated from a stuck paradigm that we were taught or shown or believed in, that there are other ways of doing things. And so part of our mission has been to engage very deeply and we're involved in a number of forums around the world in which philanthropy and big development are all communing, communing, communicating and communing to to look at what we can find uh, that leads back to individuals within the system and how they all become leaders in their own right and how we change the way leadership addresses situations, both leaderships in communities and the leadership of the people helping them. And so we're really hoping, we're seeing more and more traction, we're seeing, hearing more people discussing and getting involved in, in this element of, of the future. And so basically, you know, we, we're not looking for more projects to support. If we find projects that are really exceptional, and that doesn't imply projects that arrive with technology that will solve something. It's a project that arrives with a solution that will really assist people where they're at. And that might include technology. It might include some kind of social impact investment or some kind of growth, which the, the term that gets used in philanthropy is scale. But that's not where... We need to start. We think that this needs to grow organically, person by person, and we're really looking forward to, to, to people becoming more aware that we need to shift so much to create a different world for ourselves. And that's so beautifully eloquently put. I think, you know, for lots of people, that's going to just totally resonate. And, you know, if, if somebody's listening to this or watching this and they feel, you know, this is really you know, my calling, this is something that I've been thinking about for some time and I want to get involved. I want to explore whether I'm in the right stage of, um, you know, my life journey to be able to maybe contribute something or to maybe go and work in a project or maybe create my own um, sort of philanthropic uh, foundation or, or trust or um, entity. Could, can you sort of describe any sort of first steps that people might take? Are there any good resources? Are there any good places where somebody might be able to take that next step and um, explore for themselves? I think the journey is so individual for all of us, but we have to start with ourselves. So when you get that feeling, 
I would suggest to anybody, you've got to look to yourself first and look to your own environment. And philanthropy doesn't mean we get approaches from people who say, we've got this incredible idea and we've got, we need a million or a hundred thousand or whatever the numbers are that they're talking about to do it. And every single initiative around the world that's really successful today started from something small. And it's only once a corporate is big that it can fund big things. So most initiatives, and that's what I would caution everybody, start small. Start right where you're at. Start with the people who live near you. Start with your relatives. Start with your friends around you. Start with schools nearby to you and offer your services. Go out and feel what the sector's like. It's really easy to get brilliant ideas that can solve big picture problems, but it's really difficult to make them work and it's very difficult to find the funding. If you get traction and you grow your seed that you've planted and nurtured and watered really carefully, mindfully, and you keep doing that for enough time, you will be recognized. You will get visibility and support. And that's how we've seen things evolve over the years. And so there's no magic blue pill or red pill that you take, but you can work on yourself. And one of the most effective books that I've ever come across is one called Emotional Alchemy. It's by Tara Bennett Goldman. Her husband wrote Emotional Intelligence. And she's taken that a step farther, further where you say you, you become so aware of your own emotions that you stop reacting to them. You stop getting angry when people say things. You stop squeaking about things. You just look objectively and check yourself before you respond. And that's such a good place to start because believe me, when you get involved in this sector, you have to really do that because you go into areas that you don't understand. You don't understand people's traumas, their, their challenges, their lives. And so we need a lot of empathy. We need compassion. We need understanding. And we need to start with ourselves. And it sounds pretty corny saying all that, but it's not. It really is the way to, to address this. This has been absolutely fascinating. I really thank you for sharing, you know, almost like sage advice and, and kind of guidance, I think, is, is the way to kind of, you know, sum this up. And I think it's there's a lovely practicality behind this. I mean, certainly as soon as people start talking, you know, around the word sort of philanthropy and, you know, this, as you say, sort of mindfulness and being conscious it almost feels for lots of people very very big almost too big but I think that was very very practical advice that people can literally just look at the world around them and start from within and then expand sort of slowly and gradually slightly outwards slightly outwards and kind of grow it um, organically I think is, is really how you've sort of described that and I think um, for a lot of people that's a very grounding beginning because it's very easy as you say to get swept away by the the grandeur of you know a great big idea where as you say you have to get millions of, of dollars of investment to even sort of get the thing off the ground so I, I just I really love the practicality over that advice so thank you for that. Uh, it, it, yes Neil and you know there's again we've met so many incredible people there's a guy in New York who started a company called 10 by 10 and it's maybe 100 by 100 now because if you get 10 friends to put 10 pounds rand dollars in every month that's a little more than you had to start with if you choose a project or an initiative or a church group or a mosque group or a school or a, or a, or a, a, a veterinary, an animal welfare place, go out and help them. Go and find, make, get creative about where you get funding, if it's funding you need. Generally, funding is just one element of making the difference. 
people think that money drives things. Money is just a support mechanism. It's a tool. Yes, it's necessary, but it isn't the driver. The driver is the vision and the will of the person who starts the initiative and who holds it with total dedication and, and grit because it's really a diff difficult journey if you do it properly. So I say to anybody who does want to do it, steal yourself, but it's really a wonderful thing because the more you give, the more you get. And the, get, the getting is the feeling you get, the feedback you get, the nourishment you get from other people finding out more about themselves and who they are. And that's, philanthropy is about care of humanity. And somewhere along the line, as we do in our capitalist world, and I'm guilty of that, we get carried away by the, 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 the money, the, the, the doing, the things that we deliver to people, the creations that we put up. And as I've said a few times during the talk, that's not always the appropriate response. Gary Shira, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a great pleasure, thank you. And you can get back to the beach behind you and um, I can go back to the beach out there. I wish. Be well, Neil. Thank you.